Mark 12, 35 through 44. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make one penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Um, I'm going to pray before we start. (laughs) Here we go. Dear God, thank you so much for this night and for this place where we can come and worship you together. Um, I pray that you open our hearts and open our minds to what you have to say to us tonight, God. And I pray that what comes out of my mouth is what you want me to say. Um, And if not, I pray that these people forget every word. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the scripture that I just read, there are three clear sections that um, had going on, and I kind of broke them up by the slides. And each clear section has a different idea, a different topic to it, but they're all really connected in a beautiful way. Um, I'm going to talk about the second two sections the most, but I do want to touch on the first one real quick. Um, So the first section was when Jesus is explaining, he's explaining his lordship, his majesty, his... um, his power, his authority um, in that context. Um, The second section is when Jesus is teaching about the scribes. And basically, it comes out to be, it doesn't sound that bad, but it's basically a roast of the scribes. So if you're a Dunder Mifflin um, office fan, you know it's the Michael J. Scott roast. Um, And then the third, third section is when he's talking about the widow's offering and what a beautiful example of his teaching that is. So let's go ahead and look at the first section. And I'm going, oh wait, no. Oh, so before this, what Josh um, has been teaching about the past few weeks is that Jesus is teaching in the synagogues, and he's basically getting, like, all these shots fired at him. Like, people are really trying to trip him up. They're trying to mess him. They're trying to mess with his authority. But, of course, Jesus is Jesus, and he doesn't let that get to him. They're asking him really legalistic questions. They're talking about taxes. They're talking about um, the resurrection. If somebody marries somebody and then they die, and they marry someone else. I wasn't here for that sermon, so I'm not really sure. But um, who's going who's gonna to be whose wife in, he- in heaven or something? And then um, they're asking about the greatest commandment. They're just really trying to mess him up. But um, at the end um, of chapter 30, at verse 34, which is right before what we get into today, it says something along the lines of, um, but no one dared ask any more questions after this. So Jesus really just shut it all down. He was pulling out scripture. He was basically showing them that he was not of this world. He was something different. He was something special. So I'm going to reread that real quick. It says, And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Um, what was Jesus getting at here? 
this, what he had to say was not provoked by some question. Um, everything, everything else that he had set up to this point was a response to someone's question that they asked. Um, but this wasn't. So we have to know that it was something special. It was something that he really wanted them to hear. Um, so why did he ask them this? I think... And I think some scholars that I read, too, said it's because he wanted them to realize his authority, um, his power, his majesty. These verses are, right here are basically just Jesus explaining that um, although he was David's descendant, David was calling him Lord. It's kind, of, it's kind of backwards. So I'm not a parent, but I am a child, and I can't imagine either one of my parents calling me master or calling me Lord. It's just not natural. Look, he's shaking his head. He won't do it. Um, <laughs> so, but that's basically what's going on here. N.T. Wright, our good friend, is he has a really good quote on this. He says, Jesus was not just speaking about Israel's God acting decisively to establish the kingdom. He believed that he was embodying Israel's God doing all of this. He can do this because he was God. He had the authority above Okay, I didn't look up the lineage of David, but I'm guessing he's like great-great-grandfather of Jesus or something. I'm not really sure. I should look that up. But, um, but he's calling him Lord. He's beneath him, but he's above him at the same time, and it's because he was God. Um, so I think it was one of my very first lessons that I taught in the kids' room, and we were, I was explaining like who Jesus was, how Jesus was 100% God and 100% human at the same time. And this was by far my favorite lesson that I taught them just because I could watch their minds like being blown right in front of me. Their faces, I think it was Bones McKinney probably had the best facial expressions. I wish I got it on camera. But he was like trying to figure it out. He was like, wait. How can he be God and how can he be human all at the same time? And just to watch them go from super confused to super excited when they figure it out, when the light bulb goes off, it was awesome. Hold on to all of this and we're going to come back to it. So we move into the second section and basically Jesus is just painting a really ugly picture of the scribes. Um, it doesn't sound that bad, but when you dig into it, you can see just all the hypocrisy and everything that's going on here. It says, and in his teaching he said, Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greeting in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Um, Jesus here, it doesn't sound that bad. It sounds like he's just describing a group of people who seem to be like the cut above the rest, who seem um, to be set apart, like they're holier. Um, but let's look, about what it's let's look at what it's really saying about the scribes. So there's a scholar named Larry Hurtado, and he comments on Jesus' description here and points out all the hypocrisy that's going on with what they're actually doing and what their actions are. So when it's talking about the long white robes that they're wearing, the point of them wearing this was that it was so supposed to serve as a reminder to the Jewish people that they were better than them, that they were... Um, that the Jewish people were inferior to them. So when they would see them, it would be a reminder that these people are the people who are studying God's law, so they know it, so they're holier than me. Um, and actually, and when it talks about the greetings in the marketplaces, it's because there was a requirement for the common Jewish people that whenever they saw someone wearing that long white robe, they were supposed to greet them no matter what was going on. They were supposed to stand up and then address them as either like master or lord or father. Um, and then it also goes on, Jesus talks about how they have the best seats in the synagogues and at the feasts. Um, so this is kind of crazy to me when I read this. So in the synagogue, so the Jewish people would be sitting at the floor level, and then 
above them would be the scribes or the other leaders. And so not only is it painting like an image of them already being above or being superior to the Jewish people, but the crazy thing is <laughs> the scribes would be like looking down at the Jewish people. So if you were a common Jew learning about God's law and then the person who is an expert in the law is staring down right at you. I don't know about you, but I would feel pretty intimidated. Um, I would be very intimidated by these scribes. Um, so anyway, Hurtado, he goes, he has a great quote about it. He says, The devotion to the law of God that they were supposed to represent was obscured by their pompous attitude, and the honor that they received became more important than the honor that was due to God. The hypocrisy here was real and strong. They're supposed to be the examples. They're supposed to be the people that are holy, but they've shifted the focus from God to themselves. Um, so that's one thing. We know that they have a self-seeking ambition. Um, what else do we know about them? We know that they're resistant to change. Um, a lot of the leaders, as, including the scribes, other leaders, they were so they rejected Jesus so much is because it was a power struggle. They really did not want to give up the authority that they had, especially not to someone who was a, a common Jew from Nazareth. They didn't want to hand over their power. Um, they were supposed to be in power over him, so why would they give that up? And then we also see that everything that they were doing, they were putting on a show. The scribes weren't paid, and they weren't allowed to ask for money. Um, so the way that they made a living is by giving the Jews to hand them money. They were to impress them or to intimidate them, and that's how the Jews would give them money. So everything that they did, they were supposed to be serving God, but it ended up just being about themselves. So if you remember in the first section, you saw that Jesus had authority. Um, he had even authority over his own ancestors. And then the scribes also got authority over the Jews, but when they had that authority, they exploited it. They did everything they did to use it for their own gain. While Jesus had the authority and he, instead of gain, he gave everything up. He gave his life for these Jews. He gave his life for us. And it just, that blows my mind. It's such like a beautiful contrast between who Jesus was and who these scribes were. And how we, I, I want to live like Jesus lived. Um, so it's a beautiful tie between the first two sections, how they were completely different, but they were connected. But then it's also a beautiful section segue into our third section, which we'll go ahead and move right into. So it says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. So let's take a look at her gift. Um, the small coin, one of the small coins that she put in was less than a centimeter in diameter. So I would say it's probably about that big. You probably can't even see it. Um, and Mark, the author of this book, he translated this into Roman coinage terms. That way the people would be able to understand better, his readers would. So basically, the two small coins that he put in together, they equaled the smallest Roman coin, which was a quadrant. And if you do the math, if you like translate into coins and days wages and all that, it comes out to be about 1 64th of one day's wage. That's nothing. <laughs> it's basically nothing, but that's all that she had. So I work with a 
group of middle schoolers, and I was reading this passage to them a couple weeks ago, just because, you know, kids say the darnest things, and I wanted to hear if they had anything good to say about it. And um, so I, I explained to them, I read them the passage, and I was like, guys, what was so special about this gift that... Um, that the woman gave. Why was why did Jesus love it so much? And I have this one girl who normally doesn't say too much. She more like takes it in instead of um, dishes it out, which I know is true. And she goes, she was the first one to respond. She was like, "Well, well, it was all she had. Like, she wouldn't even have enough money to go to the grocery store afterwards. Like, that's it." And I was like, "Yeah, you're right. I can deal with the details later." But you're right. And I was like, okay, so what, what does this say about her? What do we know about her? And she said, well, I guess it means that she just really trusted Jesus a lot because she gave everything away. I was like, yeah. So then I tried to lead him to the point. I was like, okay, well, what's so special about Jesus that she would want to put all of her trust in him? And, and just the collectively, they were just like, well, I guess he's, he's worth it. He was that cool. And so Anyway, it was just, it's really cool, and I totally agree. So this widow is a prime example of the way Jesus calls us to live. She pretty much embodied all, her small action embodied all of the lessons that Jesus has been trying to teach his disciples all along and through the whole book. Um, so Robert Stein, in his commentary of Mark, he goes back through and he draws up all the lessons that Jesus had been um, teaching them over and over that had to do with like giving up and following him to be a true disciple. Um, it's in Mark chapter 1 in 17 through 20. Um, Jesus is calling his, some of the disciples and he's like, it's the whole I'll make you fishers of men deal. And he, he's like, give up your nets, um, leave your father behind and come and follow me. And then in chapter 8, verses 34 through 35, Jesus goes on and he's asking them, he's like, is it worth it? Count up the cost. Is it worth it to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? There again, he's talking about giving everything up. Um, And then in chapter 10 and 28 and 29, the verse, um, he talks about, he's like, you need to leave your family. You need to leave your land. You need to leave your home behind. And um, once again, give everything up and come follow me. Um, And then finally, in chapter 12, verse 30, he talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And this one small action that this woman um, did, her placing those two small coins in the offering chest, it's a perfect example of all the lessons that Jesus had been trying to get his disciples to grasp all along. Um, And I'm like, props to God for timing, because he's like... (laughs) It was just, he was like, oh, yeah, and by the way, here's a great example. Do what this lady's doing. Um, But you know what really sucks? I just feel bad for her because all the other people, all the rich people, when they were putting their offering into the chest, they got to hear, like, the clank of all the coins going in. Um, I mean, it was not the best offering because it wasn't all they had, but she probably didn't even get to hear, like, she didn't get, like, the satisfaction of hearing her offering go in because it was so small. Um, But it was everything she had, so it was worth it. So let's go back and contrast um, the widow with the scribes. So while they were self-seeking, she was completely 100% focused on God. She um, was focusing on what she could give instead of what she could gain through it all. She also had a simplistic life instead of the scribes who everything was complicated. They're constant scheming and trying to get money. I mean, even their clothes were complicated. I'm sure they tripped on their robes a few times because they were so long. Oh, and side note, I, do you guys know about tiny houses? 
Okay, so there's one in Salisbury. I don't know if you knew that. Um, it's on Hazel Avenue behind the Wawa, like to the left of the gas station, that road. And I don't, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but <laughs> there, I've been obsessed with like seeing it over the past few weeks. And like at the end of the semester, I would like make all my friends drive with me to go see it. And eventually they would just like go by there because they knew I was going to ask to go down Hazel Avenue. But um, there's just something like so enticing about this tiny house to me. Like something so enticing about the simplicity. And I know this woman probably didn't have a very simple life by choice, but she did. And I think that's really beautiful. Okay, I'll get back to this. <laughs> and then finally... She was wholly committed. She was completely committed to what to her faith because she gave everything. There was no going back at that point. She would literally have nothing, um, and so she trusted God. She was she had the trust of a child when it came to her faith. So, what does this mean for us? What does all of this mean? Um, when I was first reading the scripture, because I knew I was going to um, preach on it, I was like, oh, great, I'm going to have to preach on tithing, and everyone's going to hate me because I'm going to tell them to give up all their money. But um, I think it's so much more than that, even though it's clear that we should be generous in our giving. I think it reaches a lot farther than just tithing. Um, I think it has to do with giving Jesus our all wherever he meets us, um, embracing where he has us and giving him our all in that sense. Um, so throughout this process, I've really had this question be heavy on my heart, and it's really been convicting me. And that's the question of why am I so resistant to give Jesus 100%, to give him my all? Um, I know growing up in the church and, like, going to Bible study and in sermons, you always hear, like, at the end of a passage, like, would you be like the scribes or would you be like the widow? Or would you be like Mary or would you be like Martha? Uh, who are you? What the prodigal son or the jealous brother. You just, I really, it's cheesy, but I really think it applies here. Um, I'd like to think that I'd be the widow, but you know what? I'm really comfortable giving 10%, and that's what God requires us to do, and I'm really comfortable with that. Um, and I think this comfort, like, translates into all areas of my life. I'm, I don't think God calls us to be comfortable. Yeah, I don't think he does. I think we should be wanting to give us, to give our all all the time. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We should be wanting to give glory to God at all times. But are we doing that? Am I doing that in everything? I don't know. Um, what would it look like if I gave my all 100% to God in everything that I'm doing? What kind of difference would it make in our jobs? What kind of glory could I bring God at my weekend job selling used clothes? I don't know, but what if, um, what if I invested in the coworkers that I had there? Or what if I um, was Jesus to the really rude customers and I don't know why you're upset with me about used clothes? Um, or what if I'm just, instead of just clocking in, doing the bare minimal and clocking out, what if I was actually just trying to do a good job and say that I was doing it for God and tell him, like, I'm going to work hard for you today? Um, what kind of difference could we see there? Um, what kind of difference could we see in our relationships? What if I called my mom more often? <laughs> Sorry, mom. What if I was more intentional with my brother and, and really just truly love him like I should? Or what if I try to keep up with my best friends who live far away, who I don't see very often? Or if I was intentional with my classmates that I sat next to for a whole semester or with coworkers that we have? 
how could God be brought glory through that? Um, what kind of difference could we see in our church? I mean, if what kind, would our leaders have to be stressing out about our finances if we all just gave 100%? I'm not telling you to give 100% of your bank account, but like if you gave 100% to God and let him do what he wanted with it. Um, would our church have to be stressing out about volunteers every Sunday? Like, would we have the same people doing the same things every week? Um, what if we just gave 100% to this church and gave our all to it? And then we had an amazing lunch at the garden program this summer. Or um, our small groups would be hopping all the time. I mean, I hear they are. I've never been to one, so I'm really talking to myself. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> How much glory could God be given if we just let him use us? Um, and I think what it comes down to, at least for me, and I hope someone here can relate to this, is that I, have I allowed myself to see Jesus as so radical as that I would want to give him my all? Not that I would feel like I should give him my all or that I would feel any kind of guilt into giving him my all, but I would truly, gen genuinely want to give him 100%. Um, and for me, I'm attracted to a savior simply because, well, for lack of a better word, but Jesus was a bad mamma jamma, and he just, he was so radical in his teachings and what he was doing in his time that no, people didn't know what to think of him. He was so crazy, and I just, I crave that, especially in this world today where I, I am addicted to being busy because I get so overwhelmed by, like, by everything that I don't like to give myself time to stop and think about it. So just whether it's like the poverty that I see all the time or the, the war that's going on in our world or this crazy political election where everyone hates each other and I don't really understand anything that's going on or the hate crimes that are taking place because of race or sexual orientation or like another mass shooting. Like it's just, it's so overwhelming. And so I just, and I can't, I can't bear to live in a world like that, so I have to cling to the hope and um, to the crazy, radical Jesus that we have um, to get us through. Um, and I really think that we just need to get out of the way and to let God use us where we are. And when I say that, I'm just saying I, I really need to get out of the way and to let God use me where I am. And not stop trying to plan out my whole life or plan out what God what I think God's next step for me is, but just be in the moment, give him 100% right now, and let him use me. Um, what kind of change can we see? What kind of change can we see in our community? That's the hope that we have, so let's pray. God, thank you so much um, for this time again, and I pray that, that you speak to us here and that our hearts um, heard what you wanted to hear, God. Um, and I pray, it's okay, and I pray as we're leaving this place that we'll just uh, think about what, what we can do um, to serve you and to love you better, Lord, um, that you'll move in us um, until we meet again. In your name we pray, amen.